Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> And welcome to Just School With It, a podcast where we talk about how society influences our favorite, and sometimes least favorite, horror movies. Uh, I'm Nikki. And I'm Kate. And today we're talking about Jennifer's body! Jennifer's I like this body! One. I'm so excited. It sounds like we're just talking about our friend Jennifer. We're like, oh, Jennifer, come here. <laughs> we gotta talk we're about We're gonna body. talk about Jennifer's body. Have you seen it? Classic. 10 out of 10. I love that body. <laughs> Great body. Because <laughs> Do I know a Jennifer? I hope I know. My mom's name is Jennifer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My aunt asked what we were doing. And I was like, we're covering Jennifer's body. And she's like, ugh. <laughs> I was like, sorry. What a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, for you. I'm fine. <laughs> sorry, mom. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to hear facts? I, I feel always like, want to hear facts. I mean... I feel like it's funny that I do facts and then you give us like real facts later. So it's really just this is like an amuse bouche. Is that how you say it? Yeah, it is. An and I was thinking like yours aren't fake facts; they're just different facts. They're just not as good facts. Um, they're still they're also excellent. facts you totally already know, but I don't care. I'm gonna say it anyway. Okay, you so you know half mine. <laughs> directed by Karen Kasama, which you know most people know. Um, first feature that she made was Girl Fight. Uh, she also made The Invitation. Yeah. I didn't know that. I love The Invitation. Oh, I'm so excited to watch that one. I love that one. I didn't know that was her. Um, it was written by Diablo Cody. Uh, Stephen Barton did the music. And I looked up, like, what else he had done because I was like, oh, I don't know this guy. Um, mostly all video games, but not, like, indie or small video games like Call of Duty. Like, <laughs> like all, like, very action-y kind of video, which is funny because the music didn't really stand out that much in this. Um, for me, so it was kind of like, eh, I guess that makes sense, you know, just do like big games, whatever. I feel like um, the soundtrack was mostly like pop songs. Like, yeah, yeah, mostly like songs that we either knew or just like background kind of music that you would hear mm-hmm. in any kind of more big budget kind of horror film, I feel like. Um, it was also Theodore Shapiro. I couldn't find much on him though, um, but they did it together. Um, and then M. David Mullen did the cinematography and I was so excited about this because I found out he also does the cinematography for The Love Witch. Have you seen that? No, but people keep recommending it to me and it is on our list. It's, it's on our list. It's beautiful. Um it is shot almost like a Technicolor 1970s film. Um and the cinematography is like kind of matches that where it looks almost very 70s. And it was really great. So when I found that out, I was like, nice. Because there were a few moments in this one where I did genuinely love a few of the camera shots. And I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm down with you, M. David Mullen. You cool. You cool in my book. Uh, and then the budget. Uh, the budget was $16 million. How much do you think it made? I actually do know how much it made. Damn it! But, well, no. I Okay, if I were to guess, I probably would have said... It made like twenty million, right? And it made thirty one, thirty one point six, which isn't a ton, especially for like a movie trying to like make its money back. That's only like 
half-ish. Mm-hmm. So it's not great, but that is something I assume we're probably going to talk about. Is Boy, the mar- are we ever. Yeah, I was like, there's one thing I know about this movie is that it was marketed horrendously. Yeah. So I, yeah, when I read the budget, I was like, this checks out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, We'll get into it. And I know what time it is now. I haven't forgotten this time. I was wondering. I was like, she sounds like she wants to go to Nerd Corner, but does she know? I know. Ugh. It's the minute you say, like, hey, can you give us, like, a little recap? My brain forgets that I even watched a movie. There's nothing going on in here. Okay. Done that. Are you ready? I am so, so ready. In this movie, we've got Jennifer and we've got Needy. That's her nickname. Her real name is something else. I know. It's Anita. I knew that. Um, Again, everyone, I knew it. One (laughs) billion. Remember that time you thought it was a billion? Yeah. I knew it was Anita. (laughs) Um, okay, so you got you got Needy, you got Jennifer. They're best buds, you know, since like little kids. Or as they say in the movie, sandbox love never dies or whatever, something like that. I think I may have mixed <laughs> That's exactly together. right. Is it? Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Mm, I'm I'm killing it this time. Okay, you let's are. see if I can ride this high. So they're best buds. Uh Jennifer's like, you know, it's funny because like Needy's name is Needy, but Jennifer's incredibly needy. So she's like, All right, come on, we're gonna go to a rock show, you and me. Jennifer is really into the bandmates. They're kind of shitty. I hate them. Uh, Needy is like, yo, you shouldn't hang out with them. They're bad. Then the bar catches fire. Lots of people die. It's horrible. Jennifer and Needy get out. The band gets out. And then Jennifer just goes with them in the van. It's not good. She goes with them. Bad stuff. Um, And then it cuts to Jennifer just, you know, puking up black stuff. And it's gross and real bad. And now Jennifer is... A demon, I think? (laughs) Jennifer's not normal anymore. Um, And then, you know, slowly she starts eating boys and not like a fun way, like in a eating them, their whole bodies. It's gross. Um, As one does as a teenage girl. As one does as a teenage girl. You know, sometimes you got to murder the boys in the woods. So disembowel them real good. (laughs) That's life. That's that's why they always say teens are scary. Uh, So, yeah, she, you know, she starts killing the boys. Needy is like, stop it and she does more than that but like you know she's like don't do that and so you know jennifer's the demon needy's not into it they fight and uh, i don't want to spoil it but if you're here it's gonna get spoiled jennifer does she stabs her in the heart and now needy can float so you know there you go it's the whole movie for you sure is i really think you captured like the poignance of now needy can float <laughs> i mean listen that's how they showed it to me that's how i'm saying it i love it um you, you can really tell what parts i take away from a movie <laughs> when i do this <laughs> um i think you capture the really uh emotionally laden moments it sounds like i it sounds like i don't watch the movie like it genuinely sounds like you do nerd corner and i watch it while you're doing that so i can like catch up <laughs> Because when I'm doing this, it sounds like I'm truly not doing anything. It sounds like I I looked at the the cover and went, I don't know, I'll figure something out. (laughs) I got this. I've watched it, everybody. I've seen it. It's very good. Sure has. Um, But now that means that we get a real uh, recap of this movie and we don't have to listen to me do it, which is the best. So... I was not overly enamored with any of the summaries that I came across. So I look at Rotten Tomatoes, I look at IMDb, and it sounded like my list was going to be longer, but I really just look at IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah, the the main two. But 
Yeah, but for this one, I actually pulled a summary from the beginning of an article about the movie. Because, as I'll talk about, there's uh, (laughs) a lot about the marketing and the release and the critical response and all of that. And so there have been a lot of really cool articles that are talking about how it was treated, how it was marketed, and the sexism surrounding so many parts of it. Yeah. So I found that my favorite summary... Mm-hmm. was actually from a BuzzFeed article oh. that was talking about how unfairly maligned Jennifer's body actually is. I love you, Megan Fox. Okay. So, this is the BuzzFeed summary. In Devil's Kettle, Minnesota. Minnesota. You could tell by their accents, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. could. J.K. Simmons was really the one that landed it for me. Same. Anyway, in Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, Jennifer and Needy have been best friends since childhood. Jennifer is a popular cheerleader. She's actually color guard. Well, Needy is her shy, virginal follower. After devil-worshipping indie rock band Low Shoulder attempts to sacrifice Jennifer, she becomes possessed by a demon who is hungry for human flesh. The new homicidal Jennifer gains her strength by killing and eating her male classmates, as Needy struggles to keep her best friend's murderous instincts in check. That's a good summary. I like that one. Yeah. The other one (sighs) featured... Reserved, nerdy, nerdy, bookworm, needy, and arrogant, conceited cheerleader. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I have a lot to say about this movie, and I'm already like, let's do this. I'm ready to be mad, to be honest. <laughs> it sounds like you're ready for Nerd Corner, then. <laughs> I'm very ready for Nerd Corner. Whisk me away into what I can only assume will be a personal hell. <laughs> At one point, I diagrammed it because I was, seriously, I organized this section at least three times because it was just a rage tree where it was like, okay, so the root of the evil is fucking patriarchy. And then that is further divided into all these other things. So if I were to present this to you, you should picture a Prezi, not a PowerPoint. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I have rearranged this many times, but I'm sticking with this basic outline of three questions, which I will answer in order. So one, how was the movie set up to fail by the marketing? Two, how was it critically received as a result? And three, why was there a resurgence of the movie nine years later? I can't wait to find out. Oh boy. So point one, how was the movie set up to fail? Uh, a lot of ways. <laughs> so many. Several we just don't have time to get into for this episode, namely the careers of Diablo Cody and Karen Krasama. I have a lot of respect for both of them, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sexism in Hollywood. Who knew? What? And so talking about like director's jail and how women have uh, less or fewer chances mm-hmm. uh, than male directors to mess up and all of that, and like Aeon Flux, like... I anticipate we'll do the invitation, and I can talk all about Karen Krasama's career then. Dude, the invitation's so good. I love it. So what we'll get into with this nerd corner, (laughs) two points. The general Hollywood consensus of the time was that Megan Fox was a sex icon, (laughs) and this movie was marketed to the wrong audience via misleading promos and a bait-and-switch trailer. So there seems to have been either a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jennifer's body actually was as a movie or a total disinterest in actually marketing that. So what Cody and Kusama created was a complex look at relationships and trauma, not an easily sold sexy thriller. Right. So first off, diving into the first part, there's this dialogue around Megan Fox that she was essentially pulled from obscurity by Michael Bay. He 
put her on the set of Bad Boys 2 when she was 15. She was in 10th grade. 15. He put her in a Stars and Stripes bikini dancing under a waterfall in a bar scene because she was too young to be sitting at the bar. And so they put her in a bikini under a waterfall. That was his was solution. Later, I'm sorry. Yeah. I hate him. I uh-huh. hate him, guys. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, we're not huge Michael Bay fans. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're a big Michael Bay fan, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> sure. I. Uh, so she was then later plugged into the Transformers movies, Michael Bay movies, as that <sighs> sexy girl that can somehow fix cars and motorcycles who knew girls could do things. <sighs> so that's why she's supposed to be like this sexy icon in those movies. Because, the action like, girl. It's like that. Yeah. yeah. She's absolutely fucking gorgeous. And she can do things that men can do. Surprise, so, surprise. Right. Her cultural capital was generally understood to be her beauty, not her acting ability. Right. And there are quotes out there that Megan would ask Michael Bay for acting direction, like, where am I looking in the shot? And he would respond, just look hot. In Roger Ebert's review, which I'll bring up again later, he comments on Megan saying, Megan Fox is an interesting case. We think of her as a star, but this is actually her first leading role. She didn't get to number 18 on Maxim's Hot 100 list of 2007 for her acting. Why? Why he would anyone? Not. Why would anyone get on that list for their act? What are you? Why are you singling her out? I'm gonna fight everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ebert goes on to make a snide reference to butterfly tattoos on women, oh and Megan does have tattoos, and it's all very gross and sexist the way he talks about it because he was saying like normally women are trashy and have butterfly tattoos on their lower back, but she is a Hamlet quote, and it's not actually Hamlet. I think it's King Lear, but like he got that right. I did not get right. it right in the moment. But I don't care. Basically, he's like, oh, and you think she's t- trashy, but then you see that she's actually like really smart in this one way. But it's really annoying for Megan to cover up the tattoo. It's like <sighs> this very strange, classist, gross, sexist commentary on her body that no one asked him for. And sure didn't. so what is distilled here is Megan Fox is here for male audiences to drool over and nothing else. Pretty much. And then... One week before the movie premiered in the U.S., there was this awful anonymous letter published to Michael Bay's website. Oh, I know this letter. Yes, I've read it. So, you know then, it was from three crew members who loved working with Michael Bay and hated working with Megan Fox. It was supposed to be in response to an interview she gave to Wonderland about how working with Michael Bay was nightmarish. And these crew members said they wanted to reveal the truth about Megan Fox. Yeah. I'm not going to read it here because it's sincerely hot garbage and doesn't deserve the airtime. But a few things she was called in this letter, trailer trash, porn star, classless, and unfriendly bitch. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on there. There's classism. There's horophobia. And as you know, in this house, we respect sex workers. And there's also just garden variety sexism. Michael Bay later released a short statement saying that he doesn't condone what the letter said. He doesn't condone what Megan said, but he loves working with her and mm-hmm. looks forward to Transformers 3. She was later fired from the film slash she quit. Different sources report it differently. Right. In an interview with her, she said she quit because she knew she would be fired. Other sources said that she was fired. And there is so much more, but there's also a lot to cover. So that's just a quick snippet of what was happening in terms of media attention around Megan Fox prior to the release of Jennifer's Body. Right. So then question one, part two. How was the movie marketed with the knowledge that one of the co-stars was a, quote, sex icon? Well, for one, some of the first trailers didn't even have Amanda Seyfried in them. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, these are not, like, 
these are the versions that Kusama and Cody like saw the trailers and Kusama was like, but Needy is the main character. <laughs> and the official trailer for the movie was very Jennifer centric, focusing <sighs> on images of her strutting down the hallways, seducing boys and then kissing Needy. And that scene is maybe a minute long in a hundred plus minute movie. And in the context, it's not about sex. It's about manipulation and toxicity and the complexity of their relationship and attraction. <sighs> but it was stripped of that context and put in the trailer to lure in young, horny, heterosexual teenage boys. So there's the movie that Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama made. And there's the movie that marketing tried to sell. And they were not the same movie. And when you have that setting of expectations that will never be met, the movie's going to flop. And yeah. it did. So let's get to the question. Next, how was it received critically? In a word, poorly. Not good. <laughs> it wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> so the budget, as we talked about, was $16 million, And in the U.S., it grossed $16 million. Yeah. Worldwide, it grossed $31 million. Right. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it three stars and was generally positive, but did have that you know requisite sexism. Right. And then he also said, just what we were waiting for, Twilight for Boys. Oh, my God. With Megan Fox in Robert Pattinson's role. Except I recall Pattinson was shirtless. Oh, my God. God. His review also wildly oversimplified <laughs> what the movie was offering. Some of the other reviews. So on Real Views, they said, if you're in search for a way to ogle Megan Fox's body, there are a lot better ways to do it than subjecting yourself to this. Oh my God. I have on to combust like, take a lap. <laughs> I'm so mad. I have a rage machine right now. Like that's all I have left in me. Uh, and I have a few more... Uh, I have a few more reviews, all right, all right. so I'm sorry. Buckle no, up. I'm ready to scream. It's okay. Ah! I'll move it's away from my Ike when I get angry. <laughs> it's good. It sounds like a Muppet primal screaming, <laughs> which I like. Ah! <laughs> okay, Very so <laughs> on getting back down to the painful things, on combustible celluloid, they said, Jennifer's body is not funny, nor is it sexy. The girls keep their clothes on. Nor is it scary. It's all just special effects. And first of all, like, stop dissing special effects. <laughs> if we know one thing, it's that they can be used really fucking well. Oh, my God. They keep their clothes on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what? Yeah. Get mm -hmm. out. Oh, my God. And then another one said that Megan Fox was set up as the, quote, generic spoiled slut. And then this is a quote. In real life, Seyfried is a luscious bit of blonde honeycomb. But in the world of Jennifer's body, she magically turns into a geek with a simple application of the sexy librarian costume from the prop department. Oh, my God. No one. Luscious bit of honeycomb? <laughs> Who the fuck was like, how would you describe Amanda? Um, maybe like a luscious bit of honeycomb? <laughs> That's how I tend to think of humans as like what section of food they are. I just it. If anyone ever came up to me and they were just like, hey, you know what you look like? Like a luscious red apple. I'd be like, get the fuck out. I'm done. Like, get out of here. I don't care if we are dating. If someone came up, if like, if I was dating someone for years. And they were like, come here, my delicious piece of cake. <laughs> I'd be like, don't fucking compare me to food. Gross. No. I want to look like your nightmare or nothing else. Thank you. I was that like, is the only option. Fear me or get out. Yeah. Jeez. Fear me or get the fuck out. Oh That's a God. shirt. <laughs> a so, luscious bit of honeycomb. Fuck off. Fuck off. So you can tell they were really focused on nuanced takes of trauma mm. and relationships. And obviously they weren't focused on the bodies of the actors. 
And there were definitely some positive reviews, but the aggregator site Rotten Tomatoes had it listed at a 44% general rating with an audience score of 35%. Oh my god. So this leads to the third question. If it was so roundly panned and it flopped hugely at the box office, why is there a resurgence of the movie in 2018 when it was released in 2009? Mm -hmm. And this is a really complicated question because there are a lot of different readings of Jennifer's body. And while they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, I do think they deserve or deserve distinct coverage and conversation. Mm -hmm. So one reading of this is offered up in an incredible YouTube explainer by Rowan Ellis. You shared it with me. I watched it after I did all of my yeah, <laughs> research. That was my friend Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. You're the best. Thanks, Lindsay. So it's a 30 plus minute deep dive into some of the things I've talked about here, but it also has a ton more and I'll link it in the extended show notes because I really do recommend this clip. It's very good. Or not clip, this video. Uh, but one of the things that Rowan said is that as a queer relationship story, audiences may not have been ready for it. Mm-hmm. So essentially, when you're looking at like a marginalized group being featured or seen at all, yeah. there are stages of representation in media. So first, there's the shaming, fearful depictions of ostracized groups. <clears throat> and then you have depictions of them as faultless, but often tragic because filmmakers are trying to say, look, we gave you a gay character that isn't evil. See, we're not homophobic. Right. And then usually that queer character is killed because they were too pure to live or they exist to be an example of the evils of society. And then there's the trope barrier gaze. Yeah. The third stage is where we can start to see complex characters from marginalized communities. So that's when characters are allowed to be messy in the way that we allow cishet white men to be complicated and problematic while still framing them as a protagonist. And Rowan argues that Jennifer's body would fit well into that third stage, as Jennifer is a complex character Mm -hmm. and that she is largely unsympathetic, but also she is undeserving of the horrors done to her. This is one argument for Jennifer's body being, quote unquote, ahead of its time, because Perhaps we weren't ready for a messy queer story. The other reading of Jennifer's body, at least that I want to talk about it because there are a lot. Yeah. uh, Is that it can serve as a revenge thriller and is especially timely because of the recent iteration of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Now, the original Me Too movement was created by Toronto Burke in 2006 as a way to draw much needed attention to the prevalence of sexual assault, abuse and harassment. It was then popularized in 2017 during the release of the Weinstein allegations. And it was popularized by Alyssa Milano. And she tweeted, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet. In response to feedback from a friend, she later posted, if all the women who have been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote me too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And this went viral. Uh, I remember where I was when I started seeing all of these. I was Mm -hmm. teaching... uh, I was in grad school and I was teaching undergrads. And so I like talked about it in class, like, hey, like if you're triggered by this, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like we're here. But there were also a lot of different iterations of it. So mm-hmm. some folks were like, if all the people who have been sexually harassed or assaulted, because we know it's more than just women who are sexually assaulted. Yeah. And, you know, my job is actually to talk about preventing sexual assault in terms of like changing cultural norms and all that stuff. And so, you know, we talk about, inviting people into the movement of preventing sexual violence and a lot of the harm is done to women but we never want to erase the harm done to queer folks non-binary folks gender queer folks to men so there are a lot of levels of this but essentially when it was leveraged by Alyssa milano the original language of it was if all the women etc yeah and it went viral. <laughs> and Milano did later post that she'd been informed of the origin of Me Too with Toronto Burke, mm-hmm. and she linked to Toronto's website. 
Okay. And it's important to be very clear that Toronto had been doing the work for a decade already. Right. And the Me Too movement went viral in 2017. Yeah. And it went viral because there were centuries of silenced abuse propelling it. So Ugh. we have the Me Too movement go viral in late 2017. And then in late 2018, we have the Kavanaugh hearings, during which we heard Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's poignant and crushing testimony. Many across the nation watched as she told her story of an attempted rape by Kavanaugh and his friends when they trapped her in a room at a party, laughing at her as they tried to pull her clothes off. Kavanaugh was later confirmed to the Supreme Court. So this is the context of the resurgence of Jennifer's body. We have this publicized trauma and finally a cultural reckoning with the pervasiveness of sexual assault, abuse, and harassment, especially in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And we also have, at the same time, a movie made nine years ago that feels suddenly prescient and unnaturally appropriate for the feelings people were overwhelmed by. And to be clear, Jennifer's (laughs) body was not forward thinking for predicting Me Too or Kavanaugh. No. That shit has been happening. Jennifer's body was just vocal about it in a way that other people hadn't yet. Yeah. So it was vocal in the form of a horror comedy about toxic teenage relationships and a ritual sacrifice potentially standing as a metaphor for sexual assault. Yeah. And this is how Jennifer's body can be positioned as a rape revenge fantasy, an outlet for rage and helplessness in the wake of society-wide violence and judgment. Mm-hmm. One of the articles I read was called How Jennifer's Body Went from a Flop in 2009 to a Feminist Cult Classic Today. It was written by Constance Grady and published in late 2018. And here's a, a long direct quote, because I really can't say it better than Constance. Mm-hmm. And I just always want to give credit to folks who put their words out there. Mm-hmm. So in a post hashtag me Too world, the implications of the storyline look uncomfortably familiar. It's the story of a group of powerful young men sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement. And it's also the story of them using her torment as a bonding activity. One of the movie's most disturbing moments comes when the band has Jennifer tied up and begging for mercy. They start to laugh. They launch into a group chorus of 8675309 Jenny, with the lead singer singing into his sacrificial knife like it's a microphone. Then they start stabbing her to death. Watching that moment in 2018 brings up unavoidable echoes of Christine Blasey Ford's testimony about Brent Kavanaugh's alleged assault on her when she was a teenager. Of the phrase, indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. Jennifer's pain is funny to these men. For them, it's a lark, but for her, it's a moment of trauma that is going to change her forever. What Jennifer's body offers up is what Jennifer's body offers up in response to the trauma and tragedy of what happened to Jennifer in the van is the cathartic fantasy of what happens next, of Jennifer turning her trauma against her attackers, of using her victimized, violated body to wreak bloody havoc on the patriarchy. Dang. That is a good quote. (laughs) I know. And I was like, you go, Grady. (laughs) You go, Grady. So that's why I was like, I cannot say it better than Grady did. And there is so much more depth to Megan Fox, Karen Kasama, and Diablo Cody that we could spend hours on. Truly. Megan Fox has said in interviews that she has Me Too stories that she doesn't want to share because she she knows how she's perceived. That she's a woman that feminists are allowed to hate and still call themselves feminist. She's aware of the backlash and she doesn't want to accept herself to that. Like, Yeah. I mean, why would she? Like, it's it's unfair. Because, like, I remember when those Transformers movies came out and I was young enough to, like, mm-hmm. not understand any of this. And basically people were like, ew, Megan Fox. We don't like her. She's just hot. She's bad at acting. And I was just like, okay. Like, I was along for the yeah. ride. Pretty much. Same with, like, Kristen Stewart. I mean, bad oh at acting. She's terrible. Blah, blah, blah. 
And there were so many people that like in my young, like preteens that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, other people don't like them. So like, this must be a reason. I don't like them either. And then slowly you realize like, that's fucked up. Like, <laughs> and it's yeah. completely unfair that like she was treated like absolute garbage by a bunch of men, which then made it feel like it was okay for everyone else to do it. And then it just snowballed out of control until it like destroyed her career. Yeah. And that's not okay. Obviously, it's not okay. But like, it just, it sucks. Like that that is yeah. so common. And then she doesn't want to share things because she knows like, I, I don't want to do this. I can't. Yeah. <sighs> and so like in one of the interviews, they're like, that's a fucked up weight for you to carry. And she's like, yeah. But, you know, like, I've had three kids, and I'm reframing my own experiences for myself, and I'm defining my own path. And it's just, it's so fucking unfair. It's unfair. What she's had to deal with. And I just do want to shout out, like, Nikki, I was the same. Yeah. (laughs) Same hat friend. Like, I also hated Megan Fox. I also hate Kristen Stewart because of internalized misogyny. It was just, like, people didn't like her. People didn't like those Mm -hmm. two. And so it was, like, this bandwagon that you could jump on that yeah. would be an easy conversation to be like oh you don't like Kristen Stewart yeah like that's easy to make fun of her acting in Twilight mm-hmm. is so bad blah 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 <laughs> but I genuinely in my like stupid preteen head I, I didn't know why I didn't like her I just yeah. knew that other people didn't and so I wanted to do it too and yeah. then like as I got older I genuinely could not think of a reason why I didn't I was like, why didn't I like these people again? Like, I I was just following the crowd, and that's so not okay. And that's what happens when people just write people off based on Hollywood or anything like that. Like, it's ridiculous. And it's also a huge, like, benchmark, bookmark. I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but it's basically pinpointing saying, this is what the patriarchy does. It hurts everyone in that... You know, women are trained to see other women as um, competition. Oh, yeah. And that their success means your failure. Yeah. And so, like, that's one of the biggest hurdles to overcome sometimes. It really is. There's, like, this theory called shine theory. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's in a different context than, like, I'm super interested in. But it's, like, you surround yourself by women that are successful and you don't see them as like uh, competition you see them as inspiration and Mm -hmm. if you surround yourself with successful women you will also be a successful woman because you'll be inspired by their brilliance it's more complex than I'm talking about yeah but I I, my understanding of it is that it's generally like in a capitalist business context and I'm not super interested in that "Mm -mm." (laughs) Eh. but to me like I want to surround myself by folks that are self-aware and that are interested in growing and it's just it reminds me so much of the people that I felt threatened by and it wasn't because they ever were unkind to me no. it was just because I was jealous of their success That's... and like or their perceived success yeah it, and it's the patriarchy it it's is the way that we're taught to see people as threats to us it's still hard to get over it I mean the oh. minute you see like someone who is you know perceived as like really attractive or really cool funny anything that like you're not you're trained to be like well I don't like this person like mm-hmm. I don't like them and that sucks because yeah. it's like, do you know how many friendships you can miss out on by just like not liking someone simply because you are not successful in the same way they are? Bullshit. <laughs> this movie has brought up the, <laughs> the rage that I've had. This movie brought up so much for both of us. <laughs> it's a really, I mean, it like, it's a easy movie to watch when you're watching it as like a horror movie because mm-hmm. it is just a really good horror movie. Yeah. But it's hard to watch as like a woman knowing like, man. 
the things you did to Megan Fox are not okay. And then you're like, yeah. oh, wait, the things that are happening to, like, every woman is not okay. Or every, mm-hmm. like, woman at the, you know, everyone, basically, that is mistreated in this way. Not just women. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah, like, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, to sum it up, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. So... I could seriously rant about this for ages, but I officially hit four pages, four full pages just of Nerd Corner. So in summary, my entire document is eight pages. Uh, Not surprised. Honestly, I was I was like, yeah, this one's going to be a a good one. This one's going to be tough. This one's going to be good. (laughs) I cut a lot out. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm saving it for later. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so in summary, Jennifer's body was set up to fail by bait and switch, sexist marketing, and the judgment surrounding Megan Fox. The critical response was predictably bad based on those factors. And starting in 2018, we saw not only a resurgence in popularity for the movement, but a new understanding of the themes it presented. Yeah. New popularity for the movie, not the movement. But also for the movement. But also that, I mean. Yeah. Because like the work... Like, folks have been doing the work in the sexual assault prevention movement for literally decades, centuries. Right. But there have been, like, resurgences in popularity of the women's movement. Yeah. And I just really hate when it's called that. I know. <laughs> but, you know. Here we are. Anyway, that's <laughs> society. We can talk about horror. Yeah. Honestly, let's let's go for it. Because, okay, so here's the thing. I know you said there was, mm-hmm. like, a resurgence and, like, it, it gained popularity. Um, I didn't know about this movie, like, at all for a yeah. long, long, long time. I don't remember when it came out. I didn't really hear anything. Um, I didn't notice it at all until I was scrolling through like Twitter or something. I was scrolling through something like years and years and years ago. And I saw um, screen like screen caps from it uh, of just like the colors. And everyone was like, oh, Uh... yeah, Jennifer's body has some of the most beautiful like colors and camera work. And that's when I was like, oh, hell yeah. Because, you know, that's my thing. I didn't know Mm -hmm. what it was about. But that's what inspired me to watch it. So it's just so funny that, like, all of the things that men hated about the marketing isn't even what got me to watch it. It was just that mm-hmm. someone was like, look at this beautiful, like, look at these beautiful colors. Isn't this so cool? And I was like, yes, I will watch. <laughs> so <laughs> You got me. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about it. I just put it on. Literally, the first time I ever saw it was maybe less than a year ago mm-hmm. because yeah, I had never seen it. And I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to watch this for so long. It looks really pretty. Like, the cinematography looked so pretty that I was like, I'm going to watch this. And uh, then I watched it and was like, oh, there's a lot to this. <laughs> and yeah. I still loved it. But, I yeah. So, I just think it's funny uh, that it's it's obviously a big cultural thing. But when I watched it, even though I know that it was like, there was a lot about it, there was a lot to it, I was still like, damn, that cinematography, though. <laughs> I will always be a nerd for beautiful colors in films. Incredible. There's a Twitter that you should follow then. Uh, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I've retweeted a lot of the swatches where it takes a scene from a very popular movie Mm -hmm. and it has like the color profile at the bottom of the most prominent colors in the scene. And it's absolutely stunning. I'll link it in the extended show notes. Yes, please. I (laughs) are available on our website. There's just, I mean, there's so much you can do with just simple colors and scenes that could, like, tell you so much about what the movie's going to be, what it could become slowly. Like, it's very good. This movie was beautiful in the fact that it was so saturated 
Mm. This movie was so saturated and like almost oversaturated, which is so funny because you're in this tiny town in Minnesota, which in, you know, I feel like it's kind of a cliche to be like, oh, those towns are kind of dreary or boring. So they give you this boring, I'm doing finger quotes, boring setting. And then they're like, but look at it. And it was so colorful. Like the trees are so green. Everything they wear is so colorful. And I was like, I'm a fan. This is great. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> like you, I saw this movie for the first time about a year ago. And this time, like, I was looking for different things. But there were still a few, like, aspects that I especially <clears throat> loved. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I don't think it's quite a subversion. But it's a delay in terms of, like, uh, the jump scare trope. So yeah. It, like, sets you up for several classic jump scares, and then it delays them. So we talked about, like, the cat scare, where it's, like, they're sneaking through, and, like, they're really scared, and then, bam, there's a fucking cat, and, like, oh, haha, that was it all along. And then sometimes it goes further and saying, like, oh, I'm scared by the cat. At least I'm safe. They turn around murderers right there. Right. So in this case, when she hears a noise when she's on the phone with Chip, she, like, goes downstairs, she opens the door, nothing's there. She goes back inside and she like opens the basement door and it's like this moment where I think there wasn't sound behind it. Like I, I think yeah, that I, in this moment there was no music, very there was quiet, no like score. Yeah. And then she closes the door and like in that moment you were expecting a face behind the door because right. that's what horror movies that's do. That's what they do. And so there were a few of those moments before finally she turns around and jennifer's there but they kept delaying that and they're like oh no no we knew what you expected they did it multiple times they did it so many times where they were just like they would give you the scare that you're expecting but they would just do it a little late so you were like you know what maybe it won't oh shit like (laughs) you know and it was just one of those and it was was cheeky and i loved it it was so good and they also i mean and this is to go back to Another reason why it was marketed so poorly and everything Mm. is that, like, Jennifer, Megan Fox, looked terrifying. And I feel Mm -hmm. like men came into this movie being like, yeah, show me that hot girl. And then she shows up smiling with her mouth full of blood dripping. Mm -hmm. And you're like, fuck yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah, I was like, that's what I want to see. It was like, show me this badass demon. Like, I love this. But then for the men, they're like, ew, gross. And that's. You know, probably another reason why it failed is because they were like, I don't want to see Megan Fox with her mouth full of black goo. And I was like, I do. (laughs) That's one of the tropes. And I can just say now it's called fan disservice. So are you familiar? Hold on my camera. (laughs) Yeah, you keep going in and out. And I'm like, I'm like, where are you going, Kate? Where are you going? (laughs) Where have you gone? Where did you come from? And where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe. Sorry, I'm from Southern Ohio. <laughs> I was not ready for you to do the whole thing. I was like, yeah, she'll stop. She's not going <laughs> to no, stop. She won't. No, Kate's had a day. She won't oh stop. Oh, my God. I like it. Oh, God. I thought about stopping. I was like, no. no. <laughs> Follow your heart. <laughs> uh, I've got an well, ear thanks. for Cotton Eye Joe. We had to get it in somewhere. Okay. So you have a nose for spaghetti. An eye for rocks and an ear for cotton eye gel. An ear for cotton eye gel. What do I have a taste for? Human flesh. No, I'm just kidding. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Kate's the cannibal, not me. 
Mm. Um, I have audio evidence. This is the third piece of audio evidence. I have photo evidence, so... Okay, stop. (laughs) Can I just put someone in your fridge? Yeah, go for it, Kate, you little freak. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, when I said, this movie, Cannibal Holocaust, Nikki goes, oh... There were many times where you would say the word cannibal and under my breath I'd go, oh. I don't know why I make that horrible sound all the time. This is I can't believe I'm leaving this in and I don't even care. So, uh, oh, fan to service. I was yeah. like, what were we even talking about? So there's the idea of fan service and it's basically like catering to fans wishes where it's like typically a very hot person mm-hmm. exists being hot and doing hot things so it's Megan Fox showing her legs she has them can you believe and it? it's her existing for the male gaze but fan disservice is when they just say I know what you wanted and fuck you and they give you like she seduces a boy and then she literally rips his intestines out or she is crouched on the kitchen floor and then projectile vomits black tar i literally every time she would do something gross i was like you go girl you get that it was just great and like they genuinely made her really scary there are parts where she is like crouched and she's all like animalistic and i'm genuinely just like oh oh she's so scary Um, she does the things that you don't expect from another person and it violates these like social norms where it's like she asked you a question and you're just looking at her not answering and smiling with blood on your mouth exactly and that was like my favorite part is when she does that too I love that that moment. Um, but also, I mean, and to use my favorite word from art school, it was the juxtaposition between mm, her at word. school when she's like, my hair is so beautiful. I feel so great. Blah, blah, blah. And she is doing all these cliche, like, I'm hot things. But then the minute she's not like at the school or the minute she is hungry, she becomes the animal and this demon then you're like oh my god she's terrifying and so because you know that it's even more terrifying when she's at school and she's just being a normal teenage girl because yeah. you're like you're so scary i loved it oh absolutely and that's part of the gaslighting that comes up later when needy says something like basically calling out like i think that you're killing people yeah. and jennifer is like I think you really need to talk to someone about these disturbing thoughts that you're having, Needy. Yeah, it's... Uh, the relationship between her and Needy is interesting in this movie the whole time. Yeah. Um, Like I said in the beginning, it's so funny that Amanda Seyfried is Needy in the movie, but, like, Jennifer is just, like, she needs her. Like, without Needy, she just doesn't know what to do. And it's so funny because Needy is portrayed as this, like, you know, boring, I don't have my own life, I rely on Jennifer kind of thing. But she's not at all. I'm sorry. I'm watching. (laughs) You trying to fix this is the funniest thing. This entire time. Oh, wait. You were holding it together like a fucking champ. I tried. It was this that got it. I was like, are you trying to... It's like, what are you I doing? I felt so bad. Did you see my like cringe smile the whole time? Like, I'm sorry like, for what, what I'm are doing. What are you doing? 
but no, like I think your point about needy, like mm-hmm. the joke that she's needy, yeah. but it's actually Jennifer that like when she is seducing needy's boyfriend Chip, <clears throat> she kisses him and says, "Tell me I'm better than needy." Literally. It, it, she she needs to it's almost like she feeds off the energy she gets from being compared to needy. She, mm-hmm. I, I hate saying needy and then immediately she needs, <laughs> but yeah. she needs to have this friend that she can like shit on basically yeah. in a way to like make herself feel better. And then when needy finally says, are you that insecure? I don't think anyone in her life has ever thought that she is insecure or called her that. And so it is, you, it hits a nerve immediately. And she's just like, what? I'm not insecure. And then Needy's just like, no, you totally are. And you just watch her. It destroys her. Um, That's the armor piercing question trope. Yeah. Well, I'm Where, nailing yeah. it. I'm getting No, all you are. Um, but yeah, no, and that's it's... one of my favorite parts is when Needy is just like, you know, and you see clips of it when she's young, like when she's like, here, you play with this doll. Why do I have to play with the ugly one? Blah, blah, blah. And like you watch Jennifer just kind of treat her like shit her whole life. And you watch Needy do everything she can to make Jennifer happy. Mm-hmm. Like when she has a cut and she like gets the blood off of her. And it's just like, ah, Needy, this this codependent relationship, <laughs> which then turns a little... See, I, I need your thoughts on this because I mm-hmm. don't really know what it, in my mind, it's a little queer baiting. Yes. Okay. And But I do have a quote from the director and the writer okay. around that. Right. And that's why I was like, I, I feel like it's not, it, it's weird because I don't know if this is before or after um, Megan Fox had come out as bisexual in her real life. But is the character, it, it's almost done as like that cliche joke. When she says, like, I thought you only killed boys, I go both ways, which is the classic, like, bisexual joke that is made in, Mm -hmm. like, tons of films. Yeah. It's just, like, a thing, like, you can expect it. If there is a character that might kiss someone of the opposite sex, they're going to make that joke, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially in the early 2000s. So I didn't know if the attraction between the two was a genuine connection. There is... Uh, there's a moment where she almost implies that Jennifer is a succubus, which is like a demon that uses like sex and, you know, uh, like lust to attract enemies. And I thought maybe that's what she was doing to Needy when they had that moment. But I don't know, which is why I was like, I need to ask Kate what you think. <clears throat> yeah. So before reading all of like the interviews with... Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama Mm -hmm. and like only knowing how it was marketed right and like sold as that like what they were presenting was a very unhealthy toxic relationship of codependence that also had queer undertones or overtones right and (laughs) so I think the queer baiting Honestly, I have a hard time calling it that now that I'm thinking about it, because I think it was exploitation and fetishizing of queer women, where it was, like, at best ambiguous in Mm -hmm. the movie on their sexualities, but the trailer tried to sell it as, like, oh, look at these sexy ladies kissing each other. And so, to me, that wasn't Mm -hmm. as much queer baiting, because the whole, like, trailer was very catered to the male gaze. Right. Um. G G A Z E, not G A Y S. Important in this context. <laughs> uh, but 
I can also totally see that reading. Like, I'm not saying that anyone that says that's queer baiting is wrong. Like, no, I think that's it's a valid right. avenue. But, like, one of the things... Okay, so I have, like, perspective from Cody and Kusama. Mm-hmm. And um, so Cody says... Uh, this is a direct quote from an article. She felt she had more freedom to include the steamy scene without it being read as exploitative. And yet many critics, including some women, did criticize the moment on those terms. Mm-hmm. In her review for Salon, Stephanie Zacharet called it a gratuitous lesbo makeout session. A kissing scene like the one in Jennifer's body, she continued, is a cheap attempt to titillate mm-hmm. the audience, particularly when it has no real context or reason for being. It doesn't matter if there's a man or a woman behind the camera. But that wasn't, like the point of including that moment it right. wasn't like the point of that moment wasn't say like oh we're gonna bring all the boys to the yard it was saying like hey we're gonna show how manipulative jennifer is in this moment right and how toxic a relationship can be and how like just how many emotions and complexities go into a teenage relationship like a right. friendship or something that has more to it and so there's like a further quote um, so these are the comments that are Kusama the most. Although she didn't cite Zacharek's review in particular, I was just so insulted in a way by such a reductive reading of the film when the fact is I think the imagery is erotic for myself. I have no intention of creating imagery simply to titillate anyone, male or female. I personally understood that there was a frightening, thrilling, subversive <clears throat> moment between these two girls who I think are largely coded as straight. I knew I was making a movie about girls I knew, and I wasn't making them for anyone else's sort of voyeuristic pleasure. I was actually wanting to be able to confront the kind of beauty and the ugliness of girls of this age. Okay. So I think basically my answer, too long didn't read, is like a reading of queer baiting is valid. Mm-hmm. Um, from the writer and the director, they wanted to show the complexity and the toxicity of this relationship. Mm-hmm. And the marketing wanted to sell it as, like, a queer fetishizing thing. Right. So, again, I, yeah. I think it is, like, marketing's fault, mostly. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's tough just because it's, like, not explicitly really said. Like you said, it's very ambiguous. Yeah. So it does make it hard because I understand the complexities of their relationship. And, like... It really does kind of start from the beginning. I mean, you see Jennifer being very, like, I won't say sexual necessarily, but very flirtatious with Needy in a way. Um, Kind of like from the very beginning. You don't really see it reciprocated from Needy too much until that moment. And I think that is, like, obviously Jennifer being manipulating. And that's the point. Is it supposed to show that, like, this is what Jennifer does and it's just getting more complicated by the second as the movie goes on. I guess my only thing I was upset about is that because the joke at the the I go both ways because I don't yeah. know. It's never explicitly said. So is it a joke? Is it like that classic biphobic joke that you always get, or is it genuine? I, I yeah yeah. So I think it's a complicated thing, but I do understand that like. That moment is not meant to be a sexualized thing. Yeah. And it wasn't in my mind. Like, I wasn't watching it like, ooh, sexy. I was watching it like, dang, that's she's manipulating her. This is ridiculous. Like, yeah. this relationship is fucked, basically, is what I, you know, watched it. And I can see that it was very marketed as, like, the classic lesbians are hot to men. Like, which is disgusting. I it, It's... Yeah. 
buck wild and nasty to me how much mm-hmm. how sexualized like women love women relationships are but like yeah that's a whole other thing <laughs> so yeah i guess that was my one big thing which isn't necessarily i know we're supposed to talk about horror but that was a moment that i was like the one of the few moments that kind of rubbed me the wrong way um besides really the, like, fair you the other stuff in this movie it yeah. aged poorly yeah so like quick thing before like i do want to get into like your um, the bifocal joke part. Right, right, I right. With you. <laughs> but I do want to say, like, the use of the R word and, like, uh, these yeah. words, Not a fan of. Not a fan and of. I th- and I think part of it goes beyond, like, aging poorly because clearly that never should have been part of vernacular. But I right. think it was also supposed to, like, reflect on the characters that were saying it. But still, yeah. I don't think it should have been in the movie. Right. Like, like I... you, you can show that Jennifer is a shithead a different way. There were tons of other ways, and yeah. there were there yeah. were other ways they did do it that were great. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was not happy with that, yeah. but I was like, not here for it. Yeah, unfortunately, in the early two thousands, that was like common and just a thing, yeah. and it was awful. Mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, so yes, <laughs> going back to like the I go both ways thing, mm-hmm. and I I do agree <laughs> with that moment because I think that is kind of like one of those cheeky moments that could be read as like a nod like a satire of saying like i know what this like what corner you're trying to paint me into right and i reject it by looking you in the eye but it could also just be like haha like you'll never know are they gay or are they not and yeah so, like, yeah i also feel kind of <sighs> icky about that line right and i mean but it's and that's the thing because it's so ambiguous i don't know <laughs> like mm-hmm. we talked about this a little bit where i was like i don't know <laughs> i yeah so it was just tough. That was the one part that I was like, I don't, what are you saying? <laughs> I was like, aren't, I don't know. But I do understand that it was totally painting the complexity of their relationship because it was, it totally was. Like, I was like, what are they? I don't think they know. <laughs> like, yeah. they're still, you know, they're teenagers. Like, I get it. Um, but do want to talk about that scene in the aspect of horror. Um, the green color of it is gorgeous oh the scene in the pool when they're in the Mm. pool and um they go from like the really intense kind of like reddish kind of color at the the dance and then there's like i would i think it's kind of like a nice bluish hue uh when they're in the woods and she's kissing uh chip and she's like you know like needy's not okay for you not right for you blah 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 and there's that moment and it's they're all very saturated they're very cool which is so funny because the movie's been very warm and bright and kind of neon up until this point. And then it gets to the dance and it's still kind of neon and red. And then as she leaves the dance, it slowly just becomes this really saturated, like, cool green color to the point where everything is green. Like when they're in the pool. Oh, it's gorgeous. I loved it. And it's just like, you know, they've got the ivy that's overgrown on all the windows. And it's like it almost looks like a swamp. But it's just a, an abandoned pool. So it gives this weird monster kind of thing to Jennifer, like a monster's lair type thing. But it Ooh. is just a pool. It was so cool. It was just taking like that aspect of this is a teenage girl, but she's actually a demon, giving her this layer that's also something else. It was great. It was just amazing. It was such a deep green, creepy color that gave it this like lagoon feel. Hearing yeah. you talk about the lighting makes me wonder, did I even watch this movie? <laughs> because I was 
I was focused <clears throat> on like her dress and like mm-hmm. the stages of disarray that yeah, it went yeah, through, yeah. Or, like being ripped. And I was also like, okay, well, white is typically a symbol of purity, right. but there are also black streaks in it, and then that gets really complicated. And then like, so I was like mm-hmm. totally focused on her dress. Didn't <laughs> notice there was light. I noticed it existed. Didn't notice the color of it. <laughs> oh. It's such a beautiful green color, and it's this bluish green. I could go on for way too long, but also the dress. The costumes Mm. are something I noticed in this movie as well that were actually pretty great. I mean, they're that, you know, early 2000s fashion, which now is horrendous. I'm sorry. It's so bad. (laughs) There's something I wrote down that I need to share with you. Please. (laughs) It was that she has a belt loop charm. Jennifer is walking through the hall and she has her crop top shirt and sweater or like sweatshirt thing. Right. And she has her low rise jeans and there is a charm on her belt loop. And I was like, dear God, remember the days. And it was I I stopped the movie and I wrote it down with alternating capital letters because I was overwhelmed. I I also wrote, ew, gross 2000s fashion because I remember it when she has on that that tank top over like the t-shirt and she's like, it's my rock look with her like Mm -hmm. low rise jeans. I was like, uh, (laughs) so bad. I remember it. I remember it vividly. I remember wearing uh, oh a dress god. over jeans. Oh, dress over jeans! That was oh the boy. look. Oh my god, that was, was the look. I yeah. wore the little like t-shirt, like tank top dress over like a long sleeve mm-hmm. shirt, and thought I was so yep. fucking cool. When I couldn't sleep last night, I was thinking about how I used to layer different tank tops. <laughs> Me too. That was like my thing. I was like, how many tank tops can I wear? That's the I'm real edgy. horror. It's the fashion. Um, oh, God, the fashion. But it's really, I mean, it was great. I mean, like her dress, I noticed that too, where it was mm-hmm. like this white dress. And it's so funny that she has on this white dress that's all about being pure, sort of. Like you, you take it that way with a white dress. That's the connotation you get. And it does have like the black streaks in it almost to show like she's changed. Like there's mm-hmm. something permanent that's not ever going to she's not going to be the same this is just yeah. that's it and it ties into like the black goo that she keeps vomiting up that's inside of her that's forever basically mm-hmm. um but then you have needy in this bright pink austacious wild 80s looking dress which doesn't even fit the time period Mm-mm. which is so interesting for needy because she also doesn't really fit in to any hmm. group once you kind of like think about needy yeah. She's not nerdy, per se. I mean, she's kind of cool. Like, she's, you know, got a pretty solid group of friends. Like, the cliche nerd, you know, in school, like, doesn't, in a way, as they portray them in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but she's also, like, not that cool. Like, you see her getting, like, not bullied necessarily, but, like, kind of yelled at by other students and made fun of. So she's just kind of this weird in-between enigma that doesn't fit in. And that dress is just like, it makes her stand out for not fitting in in a way is like how I read it. I don't know. When I was watching, I was like, that has to be her mother's 80s prom dress. Oh, that too, probably. (laughs) That's what I was focused on. I read into costumes probably like too far where I'm like, "Mm -hmm, no, it's perfect. Yes. Like that must be this. Cause in a way needy just never fit in with anybody in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was like, neither does your dress. Like, (laughs) I, I did love it though. It was fun to watch her at the end wear something so bright and big when she's been downplayed her whole life because of Jennifer. And now she's in this giant gown that you can't ignore. 
Hell yes. <laughs> and there's that moment when she's with Chip before going to the Melody Lane, mm-hmm. the bar Melody Lane with uh, Jennifer. She's like, yeah, I can't show off my boobs because that's Jennifer's thing. Right. And so it's like, Needy is attractive because it's Amanda Seyfried. Like, she's so attractive. She's gorgeous. She's a, so what that, is it? A luscious piece of honeycomb. <laughs> yeah, luscious blonde honeycomb. Fucking. God hey. damn it. But I hate it. Uh, so bad. But. It's that moment of, like, she Mm -hmm. has to downplay herself. Right. Because she's not allowed to stand out in response to Jennifer. Right. But she also says, she's like, I, you know, I can't stand out. But she also can't look bad because Jennifer doesn't want to be seen with someone who's not attractive or cool or whatever. Yeah. So it was just cool, that moment in those dresses. I was like, "Mm." it was just so fun to see. I was like, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) This kind of, like ties into one of my favorite moments of the movie where Needy is like, you were never a good friend. You always made me play with the ugly doll. Like she's like saying, you were never a good friend. And Jennifer's like, at least I'm consistent. And that was one of those moments where I was like, okay, you got me with the good line. And also like finally Needy is recognizing that like this relationship hasn't been healthy. Right. And it goes further than Jennifer killing her boyfriend. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jennifer needed Needy her whole life to mm-hmm. basically make herself feel okay, which is like, uh, it's like a thing that happens. I mean, yeah. she was so insecure, but did never come off that way, probably because she had Needy in her life to keep building her up, you know? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I love Needy in this movie. I really do. And then when she's at the end, when she's just kicking orderlies, I was like, oh, you scary bitch. I love you. (laughs) Scary, scary bitch. And she just hovers. (laughs) I will say that the thing that I did not love about that scene Mm -hmm. is paired with another trope, and it's black guy dies first. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the orderly she kicks is a black woman. And I was like, this sucks because, like, the opening of the movie, a white girl kicks a woman of color in the face and that person loses. Oh, that is in the opening. Mm -hmm. You're right. I thought that was at the end. Oh, my God. You're right. Not only that, this is to get into it because it's frustrating. Not only does she kick the orderly who is a black woman, the one character that, like, also dies Mm -hmm. and, like, the first person that Jennifer kills is the foreign Mm -hmm. exchange student. Yep. And, and he's just known like, as Ahmet from India. Yep. Which is also super racist. It was just like, oh, come on. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, You never hear his last name. You nope, just know he's, he's from, from India. India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, and yeah. That was frustrating. And also his lines, like, he doesn't ever speak. He just mm-hmm. nods mm-hmm. as if to imply, like, oh, he probably doesn't speak English. And it's like, he. Uh, racism. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So, yeah. Many qualms with this one. I've got a page in my qualms book. Don't get me wrong, everybody. I wrote this down in my qualms section. It's like, yeah, it's in my qualms section. Um, But yeah, it wasn't obviously who she kicks that I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was just like, (laughs) I was just like to watch her become Mm -hmm. in her own way a, a badass and also to watch the fact that her demise of jennifer like her demise of this friendship kind of destroyed her and now she's yeah not doing so well that goes into a few different tropes oh i'm sure we should get into tropes i just realized oh hey let's do this because i'm naming them all on accident Mm. because you just pick up on this shit yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (sighs) anyway i have just studied to understand you just pick it up so 
I divided the tropes into a few different categories like last time. Uh, but I actually labeled these categories this time. <laughs> so I'm not going to dig too deep into them. But in terms of the marketing, mm-hmm. the tropes that they relied on, sex sells, sexy servicing shot, never right. trust a trailer, Hollywood hype machine, ambiguously bi, bait and switch lesbians, bisexual love triangle, barrier gaze, depraved bisexual, and homoerotic subtext. Okay. So yeah, I got a lot of those. Got it. Yep. <laughs> I and see. then we had the returning tropes. So ones that we've covered previously right. that also showed up here. Does this remind you of anything? So that's kind of the, like, when she's being ritually sacrificed, that is a metaphor for sexual assault. Right. Or could be read as that. We have the dramatic necklace removal in yep. one of the final scenes. <laughs> Everyone has standards. Foreshadowing. I'm a humanitarian. Jump scare. Gory discretion shot. Sex equals death. And that's played with. And then it's played straight. Right. Break the cutie. Badass boast, which is one of my favorite fucking lines from this movie is, I'm going to eat your soul and shit it out. Yeah, I know. I love that line. She's so scary. She's so scary. And then we have mood whiplash and more teeth than the Osmond family. So many Uh, teeth. (laughs) So many teeth. So many teeth. So those are the tropes that I don't think I ever actually said the trope more teeth than the Osmond family because that's one that I've I've always laughed about in my head but never actually put in because there were other tropes that. I thought we're like we're talking about and this one is fucking funny but oh. it's like when someone has a lot of teeth <laughs> she did have a lot of teeth because that yeah. was one of the scariest parts is and it goes into that other trope too where they make this hot girl look ugly when she opens mm-hmm. and unhinges her terrifying jaw mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god they did a great like a job of, moment yeah I clocked those teeth uh, and you mm. know what she didn't lead with them <laughs> No, nope. they she really did not leave with teeth. No, she really kept those hidden teeth. until it was the right moment. Those um, were her teeth rits to keep. Those were her teeth rits to keep, and she keep them. She did, and once <laughs> once she showed them off, I was like, "Oh, ooh, girl, <laughs> so scary, oh boy, <laughs> um, spooky." Yeah, it was great. Uh, I know that's getting back to the horror, but I didn't get to talk about it. That like the, it had just the right amount of gore. Just want to say. Oh, it was beautiful because all the blood that you see is usually like either in a photo or they really cut away from her doing it. It's always behind like a screen. So you never see too much blood, but you do see it like on her face and her teeth. And it's beautiful. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. 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 Go back to trips. The teeth. Oh, no. I was just thinking about the amount of gore and I agree with you. Right. It was good. It was a good amount. (laughs) We've already covered a few of these because I got too excited and couldn't not talk about tropes. Too excited. But... This is my category. The ones I think they did a lot with, mm-hmm. which is like the biggest category I could make. But we have fan disservice. Mm-hmm. So it's Megan Fox. She's eating his intestines. Love that. Yep. <laughs> and then there's death by sex paired with coming and going. Uh huh. <laughs> so we cover death by sex and it follows and it appears in this movie too. But it's yeah. simultaneously paired with coming and going where someone is having sex in close proximity time wise to someone dying. So in this case, it's the scene where it cuts back and forth between Needy and Chip having sex and Jennifer seducing and disemboweling Colin. Which, and in this case, it's used for mood whiplash. Which is also very funny because it's a really good scene because it is kind of like scary. It's 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 upsetting mm-hmm. to see. But then it's it's mixed with this moment of Chip being like, all right, like I'm mm-hmm. doing something right. And you're like, not at all, Chip. No. <laughs> so... Yeah, like you said, mood whiplash, because I was like, oh, God, so scary. But then I was like, Chip. Oh, Chip, baby. <laughs> oh, sweet baby, Chip. 
Yeah, where he thinks, for anyone that hasn't seen this yet, Uh, in this moment, Needy and Chip are having sex, and Needy suddenly starts having, like, visions of blood coming out of the ceiling, mm -hmm. and she basically knows that Jennifer's killing someone, and she starts, like, getting really upset and, like, gasping and screaming and he's like oh i'm doing really good huh? he's like he looks wow like really pleased he's with himself. so he's like pleasantly surprised like he's like oh i didn't think it would go this well and then <laughs> in like a few scenes later you have her breaking up with chip to try to protect him yeah and he's like you know what i see you as more than the girl that i had sex with for four minutes the other night <laughs> he really just is so proud of himself <laughs> Good for you, Chip, but... mm Yeah, so we have mood whiplash. (laughs) Very good, very good. And then I talked about Black Dude Dies First. In this case, it's not actually a black character, but it's the only named character of color. Uh, And then this one, we talked about kind of, where it was adaptational attractiveness, Mm -hmm. where it's like, they're described as ugly, but then it's Scarlett Johansson. So this is called Hollywood Nerd. We're supposed to believe that Amanda Seyfried is gorgeous, or she's not gorgeous because she's wearing glasses and she plays a bookish character. So it's like she's supposed to be a nerd. She's not supposed to be that pretty. And we're like, right. But it's Amanda Seyfried. Like, yeah, like I was like, she looks great. I mean, I will say it. I, I did think they did a good job of just making her. She wasn't ugly in any way in this movie. Yeah. They just made her look plain. Yeah. That's it. I mean, they just did a good job of being like, she doesn't really wear makeup. Like, she just, and she's supposed to look kind of plain because she says that mm-hmm. in comparison to Jennifer. She's supposed to look plain. Mm-hmm. They did a good job, I thought. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't think that, like, the glasses in any way, they were like, oh, you put some glasses and all of a sudden she's this hot librarian. I was like, I don't think in any way she was supposed to be a hot librarian. I think she was supposed to be a teenage girl who wears yep. glasses. Like, yep. <laughs> that's it. That's all it really was because I was like, oh, she's beautiful. Yeah, she's just. Mm-hmm. Kind of plain in this, and then that's it. So yeah. yeah, it was just I love when they do that when they're like, "Ew, isn't she ugly? She's got a ponytail." It's like she is half up, half down. Ugh, Ew, gross. And I'm like, all right. I also get so upset when characters are portrayed as like nerdy, ugly, blah blah, blah all these things, and they just have curly hair. And I'm like, all right. Oh. As someone with huge curly hair, I'm like, can we? All right. <laughs> I, have I think it's nice. Your curly hair. <laughs> you have, you have no idea how much I wish I had your hair. <laughs> Thank you. I I think uh-huh. it's very funny. Ever since I saw this is really taking it back, but ever since I saw the Princess Diaries, I, I was like, yeah. Princess Diaries. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, like now that she has straight hair, everyone thinks she's hot, and I was like, I like my curly hair. It's pretty big, but like whatever. Um. That moment where it's like, you broke my glasses. You, you broke, broke my, my, brush. my brush. And I was like, I've broken a brush or two. All right, leave me alone. Yeah, shut up about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get it. That was so funny. <laughs> she still looks beautiful, even though she has glasses. Yeah. It's like, relax. Yeah. So then we have intentionally awkward title. And I've come up against this so many times with various things where... <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna be a total fucking asshole for a second, but uh, I listened to the band Fun in high school before they made it big. I was super into their first album, <laughs> and then I didn't like their second album because I thought they auto-tuned the shit out of it. Uh, but it was also kind of funny because at the same time I was listening to Fun, I was also listening to a band called Miniature Tigers, oh. and so I was trying to talk to someone, I was like, yeah, I have fun in my head. 
I'm like, yeah, I have miniature tigers in my head. <laughs> Where it's like I had a song from miniature tigers stuck in my head. Oh my and God. so it's like this, yeah, I really like Jennifer's Body. Have you seen Jennifer's Body? Hate it. Where it's just like this intentionally oh, yeah. awkward title. Yeah. So it's that. I, I promise it comes back around. <laughs> that is so funny. And then we have the impact silhouette which is a very looney tunes thing where it's this cartoonish outline yep. left by someone walking running crashing through a barrier and it's used to demonstrate needy's demon power but also it's just funny yep yep <laughs> it's yep. like darkly comedic and then okay i have two left two left two left and <laughs> god damn it <laughs> the first one is the rule of pool and this is a very specific form of chekhov's gun so it's if there is a pool and the characters are fully clothed near it, someone will end up fully submerged in the pool. Oh. And it's actually pretty interesting in why like TV shows as a rule is pretty closely followed. Apparently, the expenses and risks of filming near a pool basically mean that if you're going through the effort to film near a pool, you better fucking use that pool in some way. Right. <laughs> so it's more than just like, oh, it's foreshadowing. It's also like we're paying to be near a pool and risk damaging equipment. We're going to use the pool. Someone's getting in that Someone pool. Someone has to fall in the pool. Come on. Someone's getting in the pool. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were just like, okay, and now we're done. And they left and no one got in the pool. <laughs> Right? So oh, I, I would appreciate the hell out of that, but I um, I anticipate that crew would be very displeased about all of the effort they had to go through to shoot near a pool, and it did not And they were like, and now we leave. <laughs> yep. Goodbye, pool. So frustrating. And then oh, this is the last one I have, but it's, that woman is dead. And it's when Needy says, I don't even know who Needy Lesnicki is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's changed by trauma, but it's also like one of those really overly dramatic lines. It totally is. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, she Ugh. becomes uh, terrifying. Ah, mm. uh, I, I did like that she wore like bunny slippers. I was like, ah, it's the little piece of needy that's left. Where <laughs> she's like, I'm mm. a little cute. <laughs> I'm a little cute. Uh, and this brings me mm. to rating the movie. Yeah, at least in my head, because there were. I still don't know what scale I want to use. I really want to hear what you have. But, like, there were a few, like, really funny lines that I could pull out to, like, make a scale. But I want to hear your thought. Um, I don't know why. I thought about this earlier and I could only think of one thing. And it's so stupid because it's such a small line and I feel like no one's going to care about it but me. Those red, white, and blue shooters. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> When she oh comes, oh my god! I thought about that too. I, when she when she says that line, I laugh. She's like, "You got to drink it real fast, or else it turns brown." Uh huh. I laughed so hard, and she comes back with them. <laughs> yup. Uh, and then uh, they don't even drink them. They don't I'm even just drink like them. me, my stingy ass child. Like I'm just like looking at it. I'm like, you need to drink what you paid for. Uh, uh, just, just, so. Oh, I was just laughing so I, hard. <laughs> I love that. My four ideas, mm -hmm. and hear me out. Okay. 80s prom dresses. Oh, I love that. Belt loop charms. <laughs> <laughs> lip gloss tubes. And tampons. Because in that moment. I also thought when, of tampons. Yeah. And I was like, this is maybe controversial. But when Chip, like, shoves a pole through her chest. Yeah. And she pulls it out. She looks at Needy and she's like, you got a tampon? And Needy's like, no. And she's like, I kind of thought you might be plugging. And then she climbs out a window and runs away. And it's like, to me, one of the 
funniest it moments is one of in the that funniest movie. Funniest moments because she's just like it's basically just equating her getting stabbed to having your period, which listen, mm-hmm. it hurts. Like I get it, yeah. but she's just like, okay, bye, and then just climbs out a window. She just climbs out a window. That's how I want to leave parties. She doesn't even... climb out the window. She doesn't even like look back dramatically or anything. She just launches herself out the window. Like I gotta go. <laughs> You gotta go. You gotta go. So, um, okay, I gotta say, I had a strong reaction to one of those that I, I, I we gotta choose this one. It's gotta be belt loop charms. Um, yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Because that was hysterical. I didn't even notice it, but the minute you said it, I was like, of course she did. Of course she had one of those. I need to find that still. I'll put that up. Uh, I'll find it and Please I'll post it. it on our social media because oh to God. me it was just like I clocked that belt loop charm. I clock teeth, you clock belt loop charms. That's, yep. that's how I'm it always works. looking for them. <laughs> I very rarely see belt loop charms. <laughs> I got an eye for them. Uh huh. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay, okay. So, how many belt loop charms? Uh, I went this? first last time, so you go first uh, okay. this time. I know. I think, okay. I think I'm going to give it like uh, three. I think three yeah. belt loop charms because I did like it. The colors, mm-hmm. you know me, I, I just, I really like good colors. They're beautiful. Also, it had a few camera shots that I was like, very nice. Her jumping out the window, one of my favorites. <laughs> um, I also didn't talk about this earlier, but this was my favorite shot in the whole movie. So I gotta say something. Uh, when you see Needy at the pinball machine and you see the men talking about Jennifer and you can see both of them in focus at the same time. And yet... Split screen. Yeah, I I loved that. It was my favorite shot because it's a way to like, you know, show your audience two perspectives in a pretty simple way that can look really cheesy or it can just look really cool. And I thought this one looked really cool because Needy is, you know, looking in the direction of the boys, which kind of looks like it's looking at us. And then it ah, it was great. So for like the colors, the camera work and also just the the whole thing about Megan Fox being terrifying and I love that. I'm gonna give it three. Alright. Okay, mm. okay, okay. Uh I'd say three to three point five belt loop charms. Alright. Because I I will defend this movie as like a feminist critique of certain harmful systems. Right. I will talk about like why you should not have shit on it. But I also think that our qualms are valid. You oh, know? yeah. I think that like language use in it that's really harmful shouldn't be in it. Right. I also think that there are like some aspects of queer baiting that I'm like not really down with. So it's right. like I will defend this movie against certain critiques, but not others. Exactly. And that's why I also it, it's like I will defend it for a lot of things. I will say the movie, the way it's shot, beautiful. The colors, yeah. beautiful. But that doesn't forgive the qualms that I have. Mm-hmm. And for that, I can't say that this is like a perfect movie by any yeah. means, which is why like when I tell people, oh, you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Mm-hmm. But it's followed yep. by a caveat that like takes away some belt loop charms for me. <laughs> yeah. So. It's like minus one or two belt loop charms right. for some really problematic and, shit. Yeah. And like you said about the, the queer baiting thing, I, it is hard to call it that because yeah. especially after hearing what the director and the writer have to say, but there are still aspects of it that aren't perfect that, you know, I mean, maybe that's what they could get away with at the time without making it too controversial. Because like you said, the world wasn't ready for this movie. And maybe that's what they, they could do. So they went with it. I don't know. But there are some jokes that I was like, Mm-mm-mm. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So. Same. Big but same. still good. Still liked it. 
a three is is not bad at all. I'd say no. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that uh, in a retrospective, at some point, we should look at how we've rated movies and actually maybe have a scale that measures them all together instead of just each time very arbitrarily. No, arbitrary is the name of the game. That's what we're nope. doing. Uh-uh. Well, no, nope. sticking to it. We okay. don't look back. That's, uh-uh. That's Only in the rear view. Forward. <laughs> Who needs a rear view mirror? We don't. We don't. Who are we now? Who are we now? What's happening? Are we, are we okay? <laughs> I thought we were going to like do a weird growth thing. No. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, um, well. All right. Well, now let's go ahead and just crawl and launch ourselves out a window. See yeah, ya. we're just going to go Goodbye. crawl out the window gonna because go. that wraps up our discussion of Jennifer's body. So bye. Bye. <laughs> And then Megan Fox crawls back in the window and looks at you. If you enjoyed your time with us, <laughs> we would greatly appreciate if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Maybe follow us on Instagram and Twitter, just cool with it. Check out our extended show notes on our website, just cool with Or maybe even check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash just cool with it. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Kim, Kelly, Nihar, and Will. They are incredible patrons, and we could not do this without them. The intro and outro music was created by Anthony Rocazella, and the cover art is by our very own Nikki Solomon. That's me. <laughs> See you next week. See ya. Crawling out the window. <laughs> out the window. Deuces. <laughs>